Hi, welcome back to Amadeus and Friends podcast. I am Dr. Manjri Chandran Ramesh, and I am delighted to be joined here by Dr. Carmen Palatio Berakero, CEO of New Quantum. Carmen, thanks for joining us today. Can you first introduce yourself, please? Sure. Thanks, Manjri. It's a it's a pleasure to be here today. Um, so I'm Carmen. I'm co-founder and CEO of New Quantum. I am a, a quantum physicist by background. I spent several years uh, researching quantum photonics and quantum optics at the Cavendish Lab at the University of Cambridge and founded New Quantum in 2018. Been leading the company since then and um, have had the great pleasure of also being involved in other areas of the quantum industry. So, for example, I'm one of the co-founders and directors of UK Quantum, which is the, the UK's a voice for the quantum industry um, that helps um, advise government on quantum strategy. And I'm also part of the technology advisory group for the UK's National Quantum Computing Centre. Great. So you mentioned that, you know, you started New Quantum in, in 2018. Now, what inspired you to actually start a company? Because you finished your PhD when was it? 2017? 2017, yeah. So yes, I, I had been for several years studying and researching quantum photonics and devices that are able to manipulate uh, and interact with light at the quantum level. And I was, well, I, I loved the science behind it. Um, but also at that time, I wanted, I was very curious about how you, how you take that to an engineering product um, to something more robust and also something that um, is directly applied to solving some sort of problem. At that point, it felt like it felt like for me personally, I was ready to to kind of move away from academia and build something. And it, it also felt like it was the right time for for the industry as well. Um, the the time to start taking technology, quantum physics that had been, you know, largely something that we'd studied um, in universities to to build an industry, and investors were also very receptive. So when I, when I started to talk to investors about this idea, they you know they were really encouraging uh, for me to take it forward, and so it just felt right. Felt like the right time. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, so you you mentioned about you know sort of qu- how quantum technologies are very much in the research space, and you know you're you're one of the few companies bringing this out into the market. How does one go about that? You know, academic research into market led solutions. Well, I've I've really learned a lot about this in the in the past few years. Um, I think the way that we that we've gone about it has been to really, to not do it in a vacuum. So you have this great technology from the university and you keep building this very deep know-how around a particular technology. You have that, and then, but then you need to turn that into something that's useful. So how we went about it is by understanding the industry, talking to people, um, 
understanding um, the roadmap of different quantum computing companies and other quantum companies in the space, like quantum communications companies, understanding their the nuances of their technology, understanding them, their problems. And then, you know, ma matching that to to this IP, this 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 um, know-how on quantum photonics. So those together um, meant that we are building a market-led solution, which is a solution to interconnect quantum computers together so that they can scale. And that is market-led, and that is solving a problem that is pervasive in the industry, and that is well-established well and understood. Um, but in order, in order to do that, you need to, to meet certain performance thresholds. You need to get the technology to, to work in a specific way. So you need to match cutting-edge technology in different parts of the system with an architecture that is robust and, and with engineering that is, uh, that is robust. And, and, the, <clears throat> and that will scale. So it's it's it continues to be an, an iteration, right? We always need to keep checking that we are um, building the best product that matches the best market understanding with the best technology. And well, I I re I've really enjoyed that that side of of building the company actually, just fitting it all together. Yeah. To, to be successful. Um, now, you know, we, we're usually joined here by people from a variety of uh, backgrounds. So not everybody is likely to know about quantum in great depth. So for those of our listeners who are not deeply familiar, uh, can you explain a little bit about this whole, you know, sort of entanglement fabric and, and the likes? Yes, of course. So I guess... First of all, it, it would be it, it's probably useful to explain what what entanglement is. So, entanglement is one of these characteristics that comes from quantum theory, and is a way that particles or very 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 small quantum objects behave. Um, that means that two of these what we call quantum bits qubits are strongly correlated together. Whatever happens to one affects the other. That is what we call entanglement. Um, and that is what allow that uh, alongside another um, characteristic called superposition, the fact that qubits can be in two states at the same time and entangled together. Those two things together are what makes quantum computing so powerful. Whereas in classical computing, you have bits that are only in one state or in another state. And you have many bits, but they are completely independent of each other. They don't, they don't, they are not affected by what each other does. Quantum bits are all in this in the superposition of states, in this global superposition of states between all the qubits, which means that when you carry out a particular 
computation, you can sort of span a, a very large number of potential solutions. And that's what gives quantum computing this, you know, this advantage. So entanglement is one of the main resources for quantum computing. Okay, so we've got that. Now, why do, why do we as a networking company interconnecting quantum computers together talk about this as the entanglement fabric? Because you have um, quantum computing nodes with qubits inside them. Those qubits are entangled with each other, so that's why they're powerful. Now you've got this other computer over here and many more, and you need to interconnect them together. But in quantum, interconnecting them together is not the same as in classical computing. We're not just sending information from one place to the other. That's not what's happening. What is happening is that you're using light to create this entanglement, the same that is, exists between qubits inside each computer to qubits that are in different computers. And so it's like you're knitting together with entanglement, this, all of these cores, and now they can work together and they can essentially operate like a larger con computer. And so would you say that, you know, sort of scaling is something that, you know, everybody in the quantum industry keeps talking about, the number of qubits? Um, would, you, would you say that, you know, with new quantum, scaling starts to become a lot more achievable? Well... So scaling is, I think, one of the biggest challenges that the industry has at the moment. There's, there's two ways to scale. One is to continue to understand how we fit more and more qubits inside one core and how we, how we are able to assemble them and control them without uh, compromising on things like error rates that start to be very detrimental um, and how we do that without compromising on for example having to build a huge fridge mm. that is impractical impractical mm. from a from a commercial perspective mm. that that will continue to happen so these you know chips and fridges and electronics will continue to get better what we do is that we offer um, a perpendicular path to scale. Both need to happen. Um, but what, what, uh, what this path to scale that we enable, which is networking quantum computers, offers is that it's a modular path to scale. So you can build very robust cores that work efficiently. And if you are able to interconnect them with high performance, you, you suddenly have a route to scale that is about stamping out more of these robust cores and interconnecting them in a way that is, that is efficient from a kind of systems engineering perspective. You're not trying to do one huge CERN-type experiment that will likely, likely be very energy inefficient and things like that. You're trying to build a system that is modular and that and that you know works cohesively 
And you, you can actually then chart the path to much larger numbers of qubits. So at the moment, we, we don't know um, that there is a way to get to more than thousands or tens of thousands of physical qubits in a single core with, with any kind of qubit. Modularity and, and networked scaling offers that path to millions. It was it was really interesting. You know, you you mentioned that you need to build these systems, and of course, you know, you're, you're a quantum physicist. There are going to be a lot of other quantum physicists in your team, but it's not just the quantum physicists, is it, who actually build the whole whole system? So, you know, it's a very interdisciplinary, multidisciplinary uh, team. So, how how is that building that team? You know, getting them to work together in the right kind of culture as well. Can you tell us a little bit more about yeah, that? Yeah, absolutely. This has been super, super interesting to me. Um, so I, I come from an academic background and um, at the beginning, a lot of the people in the team were quantum PhD physicists. And as we grow, um, you know, perhaps there's about a third quantum physics or physics PhD um engineers in the team and the other two-thirds are you know anything from uh, nanofabrication engineering mechanical engineering software control <clears throat> electronics um and it, it, it's it's just been so interesting to see you know that th that kind of culture two cultures coming together that are so different but that um, I think both sides have really enjoyed seeing the other one's perspective. So the kind of rigor, the rigor and the the thinking about systems. You know, what are the what are the interfaces? What are the requirements of each part of the system? Um, what are the targets? What are the timelines? This this kind of engineering rigor. I think has been a really, really, um, you know, interesting thing for the physicists to understand, and in, at the same time, for the engineers to see um, the very the, that research that not being scared of of exploration and creativity and putting forward ideas and and going for what you know what seems um, what seems impossible, but then it's not then you you know you you really go for it you you put the right people behind it and you achieve you achieve it so i think it's been it's it continues to be a really a really um personally something that i'm very proud of the team that we built we we have eight technical disciplines inside the team because the system that we're building is you know it is truly truly multidisciplinary um so that's that's one of the things that I expect I expect um it to continue to um give us this you know this very special um kind of culture of uniting cutting edge quantum physics and 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 theory and these concepts 
with robust solid, solid engineering. I can sort of feel the excitement, you know, sort of even without being in your premises. It, it's like super exciting uh, on, on so many different facets. So how do you envision the future of quantum as, as a landscape? I'm not going to you know, sort of restrict you to quantum computing or quantum networking, but just even, even broader as quantum technologies. What do you see as the future? Well, big, big question. <laughs> Um, restricted to the next decade, perhaps. <laughs> I mean, in general, I I see that quantum will be something that is not there to replace um, current systems, hmm. whether that's sensing or comms or computing. It's there to enhance hmm. certain. There's there are certain things that quantum systems will be able to do, you know, with exponentially better and add a layer that enhances some capability. And I think that's that's also very, very exciting to see that th the future looks like, you know, classical and quantum seamlessly working together because both, you know, both realities exists right it's not like we, we are still we still live in a classical deterministic macro world but it's underpinned by quantum at the very small scale and so kind of that being brought into products and systems so you know that's a general thing so with 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 that same line of thought with with quantum computing we will have um, what people are starting to go quantum centric data centers, but we'll have quant quantum in data centers. So we'll have QPUs, quantum processing units, working alongside CPUs and GPUs, and 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 taking certain parts of um, of certain problems um, to the QPUs. And suddenly seeing, you know, this this new class of problems and solutions opening up, and I am I am hopeful that we will choose very well what those problems are, where we focus on first. And um, I think there's there's particular problems that quantum can can help solve that. Um, to me, is one of the reasons that we do want to um, accelerate the the performance of these systems, because to solve some of the really really um, kind of critical problems that we have as a as a society to do with you know the fight against climate change and net zero, for example, there is a there is a time ticking, um, and I think that seeing the the acceleration of development in quantum computing over the past 10, 10 years or so i think i think we will be able to see very 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 good progress and i think the next decade we, we will see the flourishing of quantum computers that won't be the end perhaps that won't be them at their most powerful 
or their most extended. I think that, that would be too early. I mean, this is a whole new industry. But we will see them flourishing and solving some really, really important problems. And um, in sensing and communication, um, we will also start start to see um, these systems being integrated into the real world. I think quantum computing might might run faster because there is just so much more investment into it, um, and the the use cases are more clear and they affect more industries. Um, with sensing, uh, the use cases are also also very clear, um, but they um, they touch fewer industries, and so I think the development. Even though the, some of these systems are much more mature, actually, than quantum computing systems, um, they, I, I feel like maybe society will see them less, um, even if they they could they can have a, a big impact on on certain industries. Yes, nearer term, but perhaps not as disruptive mm. as the com- quantum computing is in it. You you mentioned a, a, a good point that, you know, there's a lot more investment into the quantum computing side of things. And you recently announced your investment round. Uh, so congratulations on that. Uh, do you want to tell the listeners on how that journey has been in, in terms of just raising investment and, you know, what was needed? Yeah, absolutely. So we we just announced our second round. Um, which is the second after our, our seed round in 2020, uh, which was 2.1 million, 2. million, led by Amadeus. Um, in this round, we have seen really strong support from our seed investors, so um, everyone has um, substantially increased their support, and we have also um, welcome, welcomed to the, to the team some new investors that we're super excited about, um, so Expeditions Fund, a, a European deep tech investor, um, Sumitomo Corporation, their investment arm, so Sumitomo are the largest comp- corporation in Japan. And they, they have a, an investment arm that is building a really strong quantum portfolio. Um, we also have deep tech labs that come in who are also building a fantastic portfolio of, of deep tech companies um, and ENSIF, the National Security Strategic Investment Fund, um, who are, of course, also really, um, really important for us at this stage. So um, we're no, we're we're very happy with how the round has um, come together. We have raised substantially more than we originally set out to to raise, which I think is. You know, it's, it's significant, especially in in the climate that we're in, right? I think it's just where whereas two, three years ago, rounds were taking six months. Um, now I think around you know anywhere in the UK, US, Europe, um, rounds are, are taking longer, and um, there is. There is more. There's more due diligence. The conviction needs to be greater. Um, the plus side of that is that once you know 
once the conviction is there, it's really strong, right? So that's um, kind of on the plus side. Um, and, well, I think um, we've just gone gone to a more um more kind of pragmatic i think um investor founder conversations and relationships and it's 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 less i think about the hype of just you know building building the business and raising a big round it's about it's about a it's about a partnership actually between the investors and the company and understanding very well um, the the vision and the potential and you know the journey to get there and understanding especially for a deep tech company in this space that it's a it's it's a it's a long term partnership and um, yeah understanding the stage of the company so I think. The, the relationships that are built between investors and, and founders now are significant and they're yeah less hype-driven and more conviction-driven. So, well, good companies are getting funded, um, even if it takes longer. And I'm, I'm very excited to, with this round because it, it has also come um, alongside... Um, some significant uh, revenue-bearing contracts, and those two things together just accelerate our roadmap so much. So we are, I think, almost tripling the size of the company, and just yeah, excited to to build our product. You mentioned some very very key points, like you know, it takes longer to bring somebody on board in terms of you know investors, but once they get the conviction. They're really there, there to support. Um, there are quite a few of our listeners who, you know, are contemplating themselves whether they should start a company. What what does it take to actually do that? Do you have any advice for younger entrepreneurs? My advice is always if you if you want to start a company and you're really convinced that you want to build something and you can see it, just do it. It, it it's it's that kind of inner I don't know inner fire or something that's going to compel you to continue to to build what you want to build. Um, and so if if that's what you is that that's what you feel in your gut, I think you should go for it. And worst thing that can happen is that you know. This time it doesn't work out, but you will have learned a lot, and you know it's not it's not lost time. Cool, it's not lost time. On that note, uh, we'll bring this podcast to a close. Thank you so much, Carmen, for joining us today. It was a really enjoyable conversation, and thanks to the listeners for joining us today. Thank you, Andrew. Thanks.